You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson, and I'm joined today by Bruce Adams and Marty Foster. Oh, good evening, uh-huh. Good evening, gentlemen. How are we this evening? As I see, we've already started off with a uh, interrupting me during the intro. So first things first, I want to apologize for uh, uh, to the listener out there for the uh, the debacle that I went through on Friday. I believe it was. Uh, <laughs> got some new audio equipment in here, and I'm still fine tuning it. And I left a setting on that I shouldn't have left on during the recording on Friday, and it was an absolute disaster post edit. So it was it was terrible. Uh, so if it was a little unpleasant to you, the listener on Friday, I do apologize because I tried my best to fix that, but I just couldn't quite get it right. But nonetheless, let's hope today that it's fixed. So uh, today we've got a lot to discuss, uh, and I sat down with. Um, with a couple of you over the weekend to discuss what was going to be talked about today. And this stuff just keeps coming and coming and coming. And it doesn't seem to um, want to slow down. It seems to want to speed up. So now, since we've uh, since we've embarked on this uh, uh, this road of uh, election fraud, and we've had all this talk about election fraud and so on and so forth. Now, of course, it seems as though the people that are behind that have moved on. Nothing to see here. Move along. To use a Star Wars analogy, these are not the ballots you're looking for. Move along. So as they've moved on, they've decided to now tout a second wave, you know, a, a second wave, a second round of, of lockdowns are now here. Of course, the EU's already been dealing with, with those things. Now the U.S. is going to bear the brunt of those. And just so happens, just so happens, they're saying that it will be anywhere between four to six, possibly even eight weeks. Huh. What happens in eight weeks? It's a presidential inauguration, isn't it? So uh, almost to the day. So it, it, I find it rather strange that now all of a sudden we have to lock everything down for two months. Huh. No, no recounts, no, no, um, no legal challenges. No, don't, yeah, we can't do any of that stuff. Huh. Can't have any protests. We can't have any, uh, uh, any gatherings. And then, of course, they're coming out with the vaccine, which I think we're going to talk heavily in today. Now, I learned something this afternoon, and I don't know if you, the two of you or the three of you have heard anything about this. And of course, today we're joined by, as always, Bruce, we're joined by Marty, and we're joined by Ned today. And all of us have seemed to um, have a, a common discussion over the last several months of the same group that we seem to be experiencing all of the um, uh, the same agenda from. And that is the Davos Group out of uh, Switzerland, the World Economic Forum, run by a man named Klaus Schwab. Now, uh, he's made a statement here in the last few days, and we're going to go over that, uh, as well as something that Bruce and I tripped over just the other day, which is a list of predictions by the World Economic Forum of how the world's going to look in 2030. Well, Marty, of course, I had to bring you on for this discussion because 2030, we covered that in a three-part series. And so yes, we've got, we yeah, yes. we've, we've got that. We've got some vaccine talk. We've got, uh, I mean, we, I'm sure we can probably get into a little bit of the election. And I think Ned, uh, we'll, we'll start with you. Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't want to waste time with introductions because by now, I mean, I understand we have some new listeners, but I know all of you are doing fine because you're all here. So, uh, and I apologize for the late start. Ned, I tell you what, let's start with you because you came to me a few days ago and you and I sat down and we talked offline for about an hour and you told me that you had run across a, um, a newfound perspective for the U.S. president. So what what did you tell me? Well, basically, in the United Kingdom, possibly across Europe, I think Trump is actually, well, seen as what is given to him, like everything else, via media, via whatever. And there was a couple of triggers. I mean, you ask, you ask um, relatives, people you know, you ask women, whatever, and they have a really low opinion of the man. And so basically, you try and think, well, why, why is all this trouble with the election? What's going on? And then you find out that a group on Facebook made up of, um, initially made up of women, form, form a group, a pro-Trump group, and they want to see what's going on with the election and why everything's slowing down. And they get booted off. Within 24 hours, there's 360,000 of them, and they just get hoofed off very undemocratically, I'd say. So I thought I'd have a look into the man and see, because, I mean, we don't really, I mean, countries seem to be keeping themselves to themselves. 
And what? So the UK's keeping themselves themselves. They're removing themselves from Europe, which I haven't got a problem with. But all this closing up. I mean, we've got to pay a big, a lot of attention to the rest of the world. We seem to have stopped it, especially. I mean, America's a, a very big economy, and it affects everybody. And the opinion that comes here from over there is so mismanaged. I mean, he is openly seen as, well, a bigot, a bad boy, a hater of women, which, I mean, if you actually look into the, I mean, I'd hate to say the word gentleman. I mean, he might he might voice things rather rudely in a lot of things, but he's actually done a hell of a lot. I mean, he's beaten his way in, literally. I mean, when he came to power, what was the alternative? Hillary Clinton. I mean, so that was on his side anyway. But he still had to get through about 16 other candidates and delegates. Yeah. And most of them stood stood up and tried to put him down. I mean, you've got, he, he's from Queens, am I correct? And yet you've got all these Harvard lawyer types and political types, and they can make some really eloquent speeches. And yet, no, they disappeared into the dust. So we got left with Trump. Over here, we thought, well, we've gone for Brexit, and the Yanks are always good at doing things one better or one bigger, and they've gone for Trump. My God. And that is sort of the feeling you, you got over here initially. But once you looked into him, it was, it was a very, very to see what his views were. And then you learn that, I mean, this is what we've learned. If, if any of what I've learned is wrong, just pick me up on it. I mean, he had his father's money, so he was a rich boy anyway. And he had several choices of what direction he wanted to go in, but he, he, he did a lot in construction. I, I've always thought, and I've said this a number of times on podcasts, the setup they have out in, in the UAE, for instance, where the royal family is also the government, is probably a really good setup because if your government are independently fabulously wealthy, then the task they are charged with, which is looking after the country's interests, um, they should be less inclined to bribery and corruption. So the richer you are, you should be less likely to take a big bribe from someone to give your friends or colleagues or associates contracts big governmental contracts and, and all this kind of thing. It doesn't always work out that way. And certainly his wealth is one thing that that does go for Donald Trump. The main reason that he was being uh, lambasted for sexism um, and misogyny were the comments that he referred to as locker room banter. They're actually recorded and transcribed. And as men, and by the way, chaps, I have mentioned, and Johnny will back me up on this, that we we need to diversify a bit on this podcast and, I agree. and try and get get yeah, and try and get some women on. But as men, we've all said that off-color remark that um could be misconstrued as a bit sexist. And um you certainly wouldn't catch me saying anything like that in anywhere other than uh, a locker room, shall shall we say. But yeah, so the reason he was being lambasted as sexist were those comments, and he did make them. But there, for the grace of God, let those that are without sin cast the first stone. And I think the press loves to cause outrage, and the media loves to cause outrage, and they will find the tiniest thing, and it will suddenly become the biggest, most important thing. Um, I'm I'm not a big fan of Donald Trump. I. I don't like the way he conducts himself in 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 the the public meetings and press conferences and other bits and pieces that I've seen. But what you were saying earlier on is is true. He's normally right. Um, no one's one hundred percent right, but in some of the things that he's been outspoken on, he has been correct to be outspoken. And because he's not. As as Ned said, eloquent and and he I, I don't know where he went to school, but it wasn't was it Ivy League? But, but I mean, what's the okay? So we've got this we've got this man that's got more rough edges than anything, yeah. And yet he is basically a Republican. I mean, they the media pushed everything beyond reasoning. I mean, his policies they weren't mental. I mean, when you look. You look into it and you see, like, the immigration, yeah? It was yeah. illegal immigration. It wasn't immigration. He didn't mind 
it being a bit diversified. He just wanted to cut down on the illegal immigration. And then so I thought, okay. And then you look into places like California, where they've got a lot of um, input from Mexicans. Now, that is a country that has so many different nationalities within it. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. yet you've got generations of American Mexicans, Afro-Americans and all that. And basically, you've got the illegal immigrants coming in. If they hit somebody in the car, they'll get out the door and walk away. They'll pull all the wages down, yeah, and they'll change the whole environment. People who used to have the doors open, now have to have them shut, la-di-da-di-da. So the idea of cutting back on that is understandable. And, I mean, in the construction business, which was his, he knew that the workers were the people that made his business for him. So, you know, I mean, he even, he even said, look, you guys don't benefit and don't have the money of the wealthy, and you don't benefit from being poor. You are stuck there as workers, and that is who we've got to make it work for. And I do believe he brought it up to 3% wage rises and stuff like that, and he went for it. And that is because those, those are the people that the wages were suffering for, and that is why I can understand he wanted to really curb this illegal immigrant. Good policy, yeah, and it, it worked. It, and it, it worked. It, well, it, it's, it's not... It's going to continue a... to work, is it? Because well, if he if he does have to concede, um, the the Democrats will forget all about that. But the the biggest thing, the, the biggest chant um, of of when he was uh, on the campaign trail and about to get elected, and then shortly after he was about to be uh, after shortly after he'd been elected, um, was drain the swamp. And <laughs> I didn't fully understand what he was really saying there. It's only through later talking with Johnny and Bruce and GP and understanding how tied up the the whole system is. And, and that's what he's talking about. The establishment is the swamp and that's what needs to be drained uh, and, and refreshed with, um, with people who are going to be trustworthy within government, people who are going to um, make things happen rather than block and hinder what is happening. Um, so I think he needs his second term to, to, to finish that job off. That, that's the way I see it. I don't like him, but I think he needs his second term to deal with the real problem, which is the I, establishment. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, the man should be given the full term to go to go on and see what can be achieved because within his first 600 days i mean he created he wanted to do a few things massive deregulation done it he stepped up the energy production yeah so that it was more available for the people and it worked he created tax cuts i mean and then what he upped the american brands that was another big thing i don't want all these imp- imports coming in or whatever we're gonna be whatever but it was a country thing and it was basically getting people up I mean, we, we all want to do it. We all want to do it. I mean, it'd be ideal if you had a world of free trade, but there's too much bickering. I mean, Europe is just a, a horrible place, as it, and we all know that. If, if there was such a thing as free trade, this country, as in the UK, wouldn't bother producing anything because greed takes over. And it's all much, much cheaper to buy it from elsewhere because elsewhere the people aren't being paid a living wage. They're being paid next to nothing and they can produce goods so much cheaper because they're not paying the people who actually manufacture them, produce them, grow them, whatever. They're not really paying them. Exactly. So basically, uh, I mean, the world's world's not really ready for this globalisation as such because there's too many staggered differences between all these nations and that is the biggest problem i mean until they actually manage to sit down and not lie to each other it's not even lying the the lying happens all the time between countries it's more of a case of the pettiness if you look at the situation here here in the uk where we're now claiming back our our fishing rights within uh uk waters and france because we are he did it he, he went, he, yeah, he got on. Yeah, he couldn't he, he help went himself. No, no, no. <laughs> France have, have come along and said, well, if, if you're not going to negotiate on fishing rights, we're not going to sell you our electricity. The first bad thing is that EDF is a French country and, uh, sorry, a French company. And um, 
they've got way too big a stake in the UK power production business. Didn't you say it was the same thing with uh, with a water company as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the same company, to be, to be honest. Yeah, basically, oh, what happened, Johnny, yeah. was yeah. several years ago, all the companies got sold off and there was basically they just did – and all these companies, all these big energy companies, within this company, they had lots of land that they didn't use as such, yeah? And they just got asset stripped. So basically, somebody came in, put in a massive bid for them, and then asset stripped them all the way down, yeah? And uh, I reckon if you dig deep enough, and I can probably get sued or shot, assassinated or whatever for saying this, that when the option came to buy those shares in UK power companies and the UK water companies, the European Union made funds available to those French companies and German companies to buy up as much as they could of of the UK's infrastructure. And we should not have let it happen. We've been let down by successive governments, Labour or Conservative or Coalition, for decades. And it's the same in America, which is where this conversation started with is that you know with the house of representatives i don't fully i still don't fully understand it but you've got the house of representatives and you've got the senate then you've got state government uh, governments and they are so tied up in party politics that nothing ever gets done that's yeah. that's the big issue so it's partly by design sure it is. there's supposed to be such a gridlock in uh well congress that nothing gets done or very little gets done. And the only things that do get done are um, good for both parties, if you will. And it wasn't originally meant as a party system, but uh, typically we want that gridlock because frankly, I want the gov- I want the government out of my life. And that's the general sentiment of Americans is we don't want government involvement. We don't want the regulation. We don't want the, the higher taxes, you know, all this stuff. And having a gridlock in Congress just means they don't pass anything. Though now we're in a situation to where uh, we've had liberal, uh, not even liberal, progressive Marxist um, um, policies that have been passed that are destructive to the nation. And now that we have gridlock, we can't get rid of them. And that's and not only really that we can't get rid of them, it's that Republicans are so spineless that they won't stand up and do, for example, they won't stand up for this election fraud. That no. that should speak volumes yeah. in and of itself, right there. Yeah, oh, it, no. it should. Yeah, but they they said they were going to get rid of Obamacare. They didn't do it. They got rid of the mandate, which was the illegal um, quote unquote tax, but it mandated you have health care, and if you don't, then you have to pay a fine. Well, there's a reason some people don't have health care. It's because they make too much money to have medical care, uh, the Medicare, but they don't make enough to pay for health insurance, so they don't do it. They do like um, you know catastrophic insurance or whatever. So you know you pay out of pocket cash for basic stuff, which is far cheaper, by the way. It is. I know some people uh, that do that, and they actually they prefer yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, I I don't know. It's just we, we. Yeah. No, I do understand that. It. It's like there's a certain age in your life in this country with the healthcare. Like if you're a child and you're at school, they get like free prescriptions. And when you get to a certain age, you get free prescriptions then. But in the middle, like everything else, you're working, you pay for everything. But if you did go there and the doctor offered you a prescription, there's no point in actually, you just want to really ask him, what is it you recommend? Because then you can go down to the pharmacy and get it far cheaper anyway, yourself, yeah. if you buy it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So basically you get, you've, you've just got to use a bit of savvy, really, somewhere online. But anyway, yeah. we digress. And I was talking about my favorite man at the moment, Mr. Trump. And so- Go ahead and round off on that. Because I'll we've just got, round we've got a lot on Boris Johnson meeting with Bill Gates we want to get to. It. I know. I really wanted to. Um, there's, there's a man called Victor David Hansen, Marty. He wrote a book mm-hmm. called The Case for Trump. Yeah. 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 You mentioned yeah. it to me. Yes. yes. No, it's, I did put it out there. Read it, people. Because he actually, <laughs> he, was, he was asked in the beginning um, what he thought of Trump before he even, even thought about reading the book as, as an individual. And he said he's vulgar. He's uncouth. He's divisive. That gentleman then voted for him because, like I say, the alternative wasn't that good at the time anyway. And then he started to follow him and see what he was doing. And eventually he wrote a book. And it is a very interesting read because it's got quite a lot of knowledge in there. And people should really, it is a good book. It's uh, trouble is it does get bogged down because he's an academic and he's a well-spoken academic. And basically some people might find it a drudge. But if you 
go into it and have a good look at it, it's got some a really good um, setup of about the man. I mean, Trump was just a Republican doing basic Republican ideals. He didn't go beyond anything over the top. And he has tried to do what he said he would do, because I think he does. I mean, if you think about it, that man, although he's vulgar and anything, all the people that have voted for him and stuff, he must have an empathy to some degree. I mean, if you find out you've got the Bidens that Biden hasn't got empathy. Biden uh, stole Biden's <laughs> empathy. Biden's got plagiarism. That's what he's got. Yeah. He stole word for word a speech by Neil Kinnock. Did um, he really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Neil Kinnock was a former Labour leader. Wasn't this um, the guy? I, I remember you, you mentioned this guy during the initial round of lockdowns. He was one of the guys that broke the lockdown, right? And, and went to see like his mistress no, or something? His son. That was his, oh, was his son. son. His yeah. son. Okay. Neil Kinnock's son is also a member of parliament. And it's another one of these great big political dynasties, dynasties, whichever side of the pond you're from. But yeah, to, to cut a long story short, Trump is all those things. We we probably should have a look at that book and pull off the main things that, that stand for Trump. But yes, no, it's people outside of America. This is the main hang thing. On, hang on, I, I just stopped to cough. I just stopped a cough. I hadn't even finished my sentence, right? We should, we should. Um, someone get him a COVID test. So, someone get him a COVID, COVID test. <laughs> Come anywhere near me with one of those probes up my nose and I'll break the arm off. But yeah, we should look at the book. We should, uh, we should state what the, the actual things are that Trump has achieved within his this term, this four year term. And bearing in mind that everything he tried to achieve, he was being hindered by the yeah, swamp definitely everything it was only the executive orders uh that he started to write like they were going out of fashion at the beginning of his term that got people moving and realized that he was going to be a force to be reckoned with and he has achieved things but what he didn't achieve is is realizing how devious the other side were going to be and they had four years to plan for this and they've stolen the election so why why didn't he see that coming why were i think those, he did why were those voter laws allowed to be passed in the in the two or three days in sometimes the same day than the actual election which basically used covid as an excuse to have uh, no signature no zip code uh, on mail-in ballots, that was so obvious. Yeah, a ploy. Someone with one of those pens that can do three signatures at once. That's <laughs> for the dead that rose as well, Mark. And, and, and the dead. Yeah. It's funny that it don't was forget about Arizona, Arizona, and Nevada, which was mostly where the dead people were voting. Obviously, those dry desert conditions um, <laughs> allow uh, yeah, allow people fun. to be enfranchised for for longer, even after death. So. Yeah, it's worse than what you're saying, though. The the voter fraud is far worse. The digital stuff that they were doing with the Dominion system, they had no they, there's no paper trail. So the 39 states used it in uh, I don't remember how many counties, but it was 100 percent digital. You'd go in, touch screen, vote, and it would save it digitally. Those votes have no paper trail. So you won't be able to go in and, and see if they edited it or changed it. You won't know unless there is some kind of, but they're all connected to the internet. So I was going to say, don't forget about you know. that ethernet port in the back of the machine yeah. <laughs> that goes out. Yeah. Can yeah. I ask you guys about a, um, a, a couple of people? Harry Savugan? Never heard of him. Never heard of him. Former National Press Sec for the Democrats. They no? changed they changed press secretaries like well, people change quite, their underwear it, because it's quite interesting. Is once they figure out that they've that they've lied to the public about something massive, they can them and then they'll bring somebody else. Well, in. it's quite interesting because a, a few things come across the water. One of them was from him, and one of the th little messages he gave out was quote you better believe it. We just launched the Trump Accountability Project to make sure anyone who took a paycheck to help Trump undermine is held responsible for what they did. What a lovely threat for a de dem yeah. for democracy. Oh, yeah. And there who is AOC? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. I that is, that might create a laugh. That is yeah. the up and coming. That is um, that is bartender turned world leader by 4,000 yeah, people. That's what that is. Yeah, um, anymore, is she? She, she might. Yeah, she, she might. She might toddle off to the countryside and start. But yeah, she, it's I, possible I, she I, could I make a Senate run. She could make a Senate a run. A lovely quote from her mm. is, is anyone archiving those 
Trump sycophants, but when they try to downplay or deny their complicity, I foresee decent probability of money deleted, tweets, writings, photos in the future. Keep track of who opposes. I mean, people have the right to vote. I mean, even in this country, especially in this country, if as you're working, one government goes, oh, and you think you're going to benefit from it, you vote for them. And then in the next, what you call term or whatever, another government gets in and they're going to do by you well, they hop sides. It's like changing your energy supplier in this country. I mean, so people don't have that. People don't have the right to vote. Here's the thing: you're crucified for it. Yeah, here's the thing: you're you're talking about logical, common sense things, okay? And and I, (laughs) yeah, I I agree with you, right? I mean, that's that's what it is that we're talking about here: is people should have the right to vote for their government. People should have the right to to dictate to their government how it's going to be. But see, they're removing all of those choices from us. It's Mm. not about that anymore. These are hardcore criminals. When we're talking about the swamp, people don't really grasp how bad that really is. And it's more than just on a national scale. These are, I mean, at the end of the day, the politicians, they're just puppets. They're cowardly sellouts. That's all they are Mm -hmm. now. That's that's all I see them as now. You've got a few people in there that are willing to stand up and do the right thing. But they're in the, the very serious, very slim minority here is is just a few of them that are willing to come out and say what needs to be said. But the rest of them are scared. They're scared to death. And they're scared to death of of scum that's down there out of the Davos group. Uh, for whatever reason, I'm not quite sure why. I, I really don't have any understanding as to why. I have not, in my brain, I haven't computed that one yet. I haven't figured that one out. I really don't well, know. A lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it is, um, you know, or will, will never be known because they managed to get to Epstein before he could spill his guts. That's right. And they do um, have they do have uh, his his number two right now yeah. in jail. And Bruce and I were going through some of that testimony. And honestly, I mean, they sat there and they grilled her for like six hours on the stand at, at the grand jury indictment. And it's like, you didn't actually ask her any real questions. I mean, I, I, I agree that you have to bring these people to justice and all that stuff. But if you're going to have a prosecutor, then damn it, let's get a prosecutor in there. Let's well, not let's dance around. It, it, if they had have asked, what was her oh, name again? The, I couldn't uh, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell. If they would have Ghislaine. asked, yeah, if they would have if asked they, her these questions, the questions, all these people would be going to jail. Yeah, <laughs> and that information that she, now she's got in her head is only any good while it's still secret because it's it loses all its power once it's been revealed. If Ghislaine Maxwell actually spilled the beans, then all of that information would be no good to those shadowy people that are um that you know that want that and are using that information to blackmail people into doing things that they perhaps don't want to but they're jumping on board with this whole movement and the whole new world order some of it's financial gain I'm absolutely certain other other parts of it, it it's the stick and carrot and the stick is we've got dirt on you and uh, you will do what we say, otherwise that dirt will start to come out. Okay, let's get into some stuff about Bill Gates. Uh, you, excuse me, Dr. Gates. Let, let's get into some stuff about Dr. Gates <laughs> and Boris Johnson. Now that Pfizer has announced a, uh, a vaccination for COVID-19 with a 90% effectiveness. Huh. Mm-hmm. Now, that's funny. That's funny. They, that would be the most successful vaccine ever developed if that was the case. So uh, let's look at the first Uh, part of the rollout on what they're wanting to do here. We had talked about back in May how Boris Johnson, and this was public, it was not widely talked about. It was mentioned once, I think, in your papers and on your television networks there that I saw. And then after that, it didn't even make, I don't even think it made the six o'clock news that evening. It was announced in the morning as a, as a typical thing. And then on they went, but I actually had to go to your, uh, your government's website. I think it was like ukgov.com code, whatever it was, uh, your uk.gov to get it. Because I remember this, because when we were talking about the company that was given the contract to develop the uh, the vaccine by Bill Gates, Novavax, I thought, wait a minute, didn't Boris Johnson meet with Bill Gates at some point? So I actually had to go back and look. And sure enough, he met with him back in May. Now, he's getting ready to meet with him again. And this was reported as of yesterday. Boris Johnson to meet with Bill Gates to plan national vaccine rollout with the big pharma giants. And we've talked at nauseum here about big pharma. That's actually one of the things that uh, that Trump was in the process of doing, as you were mentioning about like cutting the red tape. He actually wanted to bring prescription drug prices down to compete with uh, Europe and, and Canada on prescription drug prices. But once he did that, once he started to take on big pharma and bring down prescription costs where you can't take the money out of the people anymore through accelerated medical costs and, or excuse me, sky high medical costs and 
uh, sky high pharmaceutical costs. I mean, he had to go. The, the big pharma companies turned against him at that point. Hence why they didn't announce the vaccine until after the election. They already knew. They had it back in, uh, they were onto something back in around mid-July. They knew they were. And the money had been worked over to Pfizer through that program, even though the media said that it hadn't. Oh, no, it wasn't part of anything. You're telling me one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies out there in the world, in the world, wasn't part of that? Are you insane? Do you really think people are that damn stupid? $1.6 billion was sent. I mean, we, we talked about that. $1.6 billion was sent to have them part of that program, of which, by the 1. way, 1.95. Was it 1.95? Okay, 1.95. Excuse me for being conservative on the numbers. But here's the interesting part about that. We learned just a couple of days ago that Joe Biden personally, personally was the recipient of around $256 million of that money from Pfizer directly. Hmm. And then, of course, they they told the campaign that they had the vaccine, oddly enough, after the election. Hmm. Just a little strange side note. Anyway, um, they told, by the way, they told Biden's campaign first. They told Biden before they told the government that it was ready. Uh Uh-huh. Just I'm I'm sure it's just coincidence. I'm I'm sure. Boris Johnson meets with Bill Gates, as I said, to to plan this out. Now, the prime minister will hold, uh, excuse me, will hold a roundtable with uh, Microsoft co-founder, Dr. uh, Excuse me, Bill Gates, uh, to discuss tackling this coronavirus and to discuss the uh, the future plans to stop more pandemics, more pandemics. Now, you notice that they've actually turned this one into a pandemic based on the World Health Organization's definition of a pandemic. You know, they changed that 12 years ago after the swine flu to exclude the what's the word I'm looking for uh, to exclude the um, the stipulation. Yeah, the, uh, of widespread death. So even if there's no widespread death, any form of a virus now, any form of it, is to be considered uh, a pandemic. So notice mm-hmm. the f- you notice the seasonal flu hasn't appeared yet this year. Here, here we are about to go into uh, uh, about about to go into Christmas season, and the seasonal flu hasn't even bothered to show up. I, I find that fascinating. Anyway, uh, Mr. Gates's foundation, uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which we've talked again uh, here before on, has helped spearhead the research into pandemics and plowed 118 million pounds into finding a vaccine for the coronavirus. I would say that it's a whole hell of a lot more than that. We've talked about larger amounts than that before. We're talking in the neighborhood of billions here that they have given. Bill Gates has said that countries such as Britain and the U.S. could be back to normal by late 2021. You see? You see how it's just... Oh, well, we can have we can have it in 18 months. And oh, it, well, no, excuse me. I'm getting ahead of myself. Well, we just need 14 days to, to flatten that curve. And uh, we, we just need uh, we just need a month now. We just need a couple more weeks. And then, well, it, it's going to be a while. Well, we, we need to do six months. Oh, it's 18 months. Now it's the end of 2021. But uh, speaking to The Wall Street Journal last month, and I'm quoting Bill Gates here, he says, the allocation within the U.S. and between the U.S. and other countries will be a very top point of contention. Mr. Johnson was cautiously optimistic about the Pfizer vaccine, which is shown to be at least 90% effective in stopping people catching coronavirus. Now, we've heard all along that masks, masks, we got to do all these things with masks. We have to, uh, everyone's got to wear a mask everywhere you go. But yet we're being told cases are still surging. Well, what does that tell you? Logic tells you that masks don't work. I don't care what the hell kind of study comes out. We knew that they were ineffective to begin with. They knew that they were ineffective to begin with. They said so. They they knew it right. They were upfront about it in the beginning. They said, those don't work. Don't even bother with them. And then now it's become a tool of control. Now it's shut up and do what we tell you to do. As a matter of fact, I think Fauci's even said that in the last couple of days. Shut up and just do what you're told now. Yeah, we're to that point now. So 90% effectiveness. Now, again, as I said, China's open for business. They've been open for business. You notice you're not hearing anything about that? You haven't heard anything? You haven't heard word one about China for months, for months. Everything is turned back onto the West. That's the genius about this thing is everything's been turned back on itself. China's open for business. We're not. We're still closed. And this vaccine magically appears and it's going to have a 90% effective rate. Could that be the fact? And I'm just this is just my opinion. Could that be the fact that the virus itself has a a fatality rate that is so low that it will make a vaccine seem like it's 90% effective to an unsuspecting public that just wants to get hit up with something? Now, one thing I learned this afternoon, and I I know all of you want to weigh in on the, my long rant here, I'm and I've got more to say on this. But one thing I learned this afternoon was that this particular vaccine, what is unique about this vaccine that Pfizer has developed? What is unique about this? In it's order for an RNA yes, vaccine, yes. Now here's what's it, it, exactly, and to go along with this, 
I learned this afternoon, and I had no knowledge of this. I learned this afternoon that this particular vaccine has to be in this because we heard something a couple of days ago, Bruce, didn't we, about Fauci? He was, he was concerned about cold storage. And we thought, what in the hell is he concerned? What's he? He made a public statement about cold storage. What in the hell is he so concerned about cold storage for? Now, you're thinking refrigeration, right? Refrigeration warehouses, temperature control warehouses to keep things no. from growing in doses, right? Like bacteria and things, because they say vaccines have to be kept anywhere between uh, zero and and um, uh, 28 degrees, or excuse me, between 32 and 28 degrees, almost freezing or just a little below freezing to stop bacteria from forming inside the doses. Otherwise, the doses have to be destroyed. This particular vaccine, this one, think about what I'm about to say. This particular vaccine must be kept at negative 94 degrees Fahrenheit. That's minus 18 degrees Celsius in real money. Okay. Now, that would be the first time that a vaccine has ever been kept at such a low temperature. Now, what on earth do they have in this thing that has to keep it down to minus 94 degrees Fahrenheit now or minus 18 degrees Celsius, as you as you put it? Now, what's interesting about this is, is that to get to those temperatures, I mean, that's almost impossible for the average hell, even hospital. I mean, you've got to have I mean, once you get into that realm of temperature control, we're talking about serious government facilities or any type of uh, military uh, type technology that can keep and maintain those temperatures. To get these out to a hospital, to get these out to, say, uh, a drugstore or something like that, you're talking about having to come in and, and completely redo any type of appliance that they're going to have to have to keep something at that temperature. That's a seriously cold temperature. What in the hell is at that level that is in that vaccine that they're not telling anybody about that has to be kept at that temperature? That's my question. That's my question. Well, okay. This this ties into something that Ned did some research on and put me onto that TV show that I mentioned on the last podcast that I was on, which was all about CRISPR and uh, the breaking of the human genome. And basically, this being an RNA, uh, and I don't know, it's nucleic acid, isn't it? So it's the same sort of stuff as DNA. It's it's like a DNA strand, and Very basically, similar. basically the vaccine attaches to your cells, and it changes the cells' reaction to the coronavirus, and it changes and, you, and it changes you in the process as well. So oh, that um, sounds comforting. Yeah, <laughs> and and it's it's not just a case of one shot. They don't know how long it keeps you immune for because they haven't done the studies because they haven't had the chance to do the studies. They don't know whether it stops human-to-human transmission thereafter. It well, does it stop the individual. It wasn't supposed to be human-to-human transmission in the early days. The World Health Organization said so. Yeah, and this thought has occurred to me just recently, um, in fact, in the last 10 minutes. We're all convinced that the CCP has got this big control and buy-in and all the rest of it. I think they were persuaded to take the hit in Wuhan, which uh, a region of 35 million people, quite a big populous. I mean, it's, it's a huge conurbated city. And at the very heart of it, um, where the research centre was, you had about 9 million people. But if you extend it out, it's about 35 million people. I, I think 11 million, 11 million was it in, in, in the... Yeah. So I think that um, they were convinced to take the hit, develop the virus for research process purposes, have it released, go through the hell that the people went through in that city. And we saw people being locked into their buildings uh, and we saw all that upheaval and um, sick people in the street and all those kind of things. They went through that. And the reason we've not heard about anything about how things are going on in China on the news is because the West, the establishment of the West, has more or less agreed to let China crack on and do its own thing. Because otherwise, we'd be in direct confrontation with them now. Exactly. About it, it, this kind of thing. Exactly. Um, the CCP have probably gone... Yeah, okay, we'll do it. We'll take the hit, but you leave us alone. You back off on on our treatment of the Ouija and the uh, other dissidents within China. You let us take control of Hong Kong the way we want to do it. And the Western governments are not standing up against China. And, and I think that's why, because this whole thing is a global plot. 
And we all sound crazy for saying it, but the more you look at it, the more it's obvious that COVID-19 is being used to bring about the societal reset. And everything that stands in the way of that societal reset is somehow being broken down by COVID-19, right down to leaving um, the American system wide open to even more electoral fraud by making um, posting votes not need a signature and not need a postcode because of, air quotes, COVID, which is absolutely ridiculous. So that's why we're not hearing anything, in my humble opinion, about China and about how things are happening inside China right at this moment. Well, Ned, you got what do you got on vaccines there with uh, Gates and Johnson? Who, me? Unless oh, there's another guy in know, here named Ned. I, no, <laughs> no, I'm just fed up with it because it's, it, it's, it's old news. We knew it was coming along and the timelines have been there. They just stretched it out. I was just listening. I mean, Martin, Martin summed it up quite nicely there, actually. It has been abused and used. Uh, and basically, the people are in such a situation, and it's quite sad, that I don't want to call people to stop acting dumb because they are. They're just rolling over. And it's well, the pe- people that need to actually get up and do something. And because if you don't do it at this level, it's just not going to happen. And you need lots of them. And I think the backbone has got out of most people and they just want to go, well, I don't, if, if that's the case, I don't want to lose anything. I'm just going to, well, hey, we'll see what the future brings. Hey, and that's it. They're, they're done. They're done. The, the public um, is done. The Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, uh, and this is a piece from LBC uh, on their page on Twitter. Boris Johnson has urged everyone to get the coronavirus vaccine once it becomes available. The Prime Minister said anti-vax is total nonsense. You should definitely get a vaccine. Oh, really? Now, the the term anti-vaxxer is actually derived from the people who are anti-measles, mumps and rubella vaccine and, and those kind of things where they were... Uh, and and by and large, not vaccinating is a mistake. Okay, there are some things that are are really really dangerous, and these vaccines are tried and tested. They're decades old. Some of them, yeah, stuff like va- polio and things like. I mean, we we've cured, yeah, we we've cured a, a lot of human suffering through vaccines, and and they know that. They know but that. You take what- that, Johnny. Hang on, polio. You mentioned polio. Do you know the person who discovered that and that? Do you know how much money they made out of that polio vaccine? Nothing. They gave it free to the world. Isn't that a nice thing to say? Uh-huh. Yeah. Paying a pandemic, why don't they give it to the world? Uh-huh. The man's yeah. got enough money or hasn't he? Why doesn't he mm. put put up, stand up and go, this is what I contribute. Let's have a safer world. There's my vaccine. Uh-huh. I still wouldn't trust it. He's, he's no, got to exactly. sell it. He's got to sell it because um, beware... Uh, but beware Greeks bearing gifts, the old Trojan horse. <laughs> the wooden horse. This is, yeah, but you this is it. not a this is not your typical Trojan horse, my friend. This is a Trojan it's, horse made of chicken wire, and you can see right through it. Well, yes, we can, but people are not seeing through it. I I tweeted back on that one from LBC on the LBC's page because this anti-vaxxer. You're an anti-vaxxer is the equivalent, the COVID equivalent of you're a fascist or you're a sexist. It's the ad hominem. By using the term anti-vax, that's the kind of emotion that he's stirring up amongst people. And uh, so, so I, I tweeted, I said, what's in it? Question mark. How does it work? Question mark. What else will it do? The resistance to this vaccine is not a blanket resistance to vaccines. It's a mistrust of the whole COVID-19 thing in general. Blame Bill Gates and his TED talk on changing the human DNA sequence uh, of live people with a vaccine on his, you know, on his TED talk, eugenics. That's why people are mistrustful because they thought he thought he was being clever, putting yeah, it a, out he's there. He's a zero population guy. Yeah, yeah. What I think they ultimately want is um, all of these elites in in their in their little bubble. Um, miles from anywhere with no one in between, but each would probably have a huge embryo bank of ready-made fetuses from their their own DNA so that clones. they just had their clones going on and on and on. <laughs> and, um, you know, in, in past cloning exercises, the clones have never lived very long. But now with the breakthrough, was it 2013 with the CRISPR break, breakthrough? Yeah, 2013. All of those ailments 
all of those things that eventually kill you. It's like your liver regenerates till you're about 24, 25, um, at a, a quite a good rate. I think there's a certain amount of regeneration goes on all the time, but there's there's a, a particular strand of your DNA that tells your body when to stop fixing itself. And if all they want to do is have very few people around and put that strand of DNA into those people, now they can do it within a single span, within a single lifespan. It's not a case of evolution taking care of it or, or what's the word, selective breeding. You can actually make these changes. Yes, you're talking about lifespan. the gene drive. You're yeah. talking about well, the gene drive that they, yeah. they and, discovered. And, and what yeah. really upset me about you... Well, not about you putting me onto the, the the program, which is called uh, unnatural selection, is that all the aches and pains and arthritic problems I've got yep. can actually be fixed by it. Yep. But hospitals, medical care are not offering these things to people, which can be done for as cheaply as a hundred and fifty dollar kit. But they are charging four hundred and fifty thousand dollars for some of these treatments that cure blindness and the, and those kind of things. So, um, yeah, Mr. Gates, please stay well out of our business. A vaccine for a, a virus that we really need would be really, really appreciated. But I'm not 100% convinced we need a vaccine for what is just a, a nasty strain of flu. And I, I just question every motive that there is. The fundamental word virus is an ever-changing thing. Therefore, I mean, the reason they're supposed to have had to step ahead is because if you go back to SARS, the SARS virus, it was a coronavirus base again, and it was another pandemic type thing. Australia and Canada were the two, two of the major countries that created vaccines. Then they created the terminology of national vaccine because they said, we're going to look after our people first. Yeah. So they were, because they didn't think they'd be able to get out. But by the time they started vaccinating their people and everything, SARS had burnt itself out just about. Yeah, that is what coronaviruses do. You end up, you do end up achieving your herd immunity one way or another. But that's what's supposed to give them the jump ahead. Oxford University have got the beginnings of it. They had it at the same time as whatever, but they're, but these big companies a pushing big company and that's and this is where it's all wrong that's where the control is you don't i mean you get the coronavirus vaccine come out this year hang on what's going to happen next year and then the year after and if it is a platform for delivering other nasties you've got several so if it happens again i mean if it burns itself out what are they going to say oh our vaccine done it is that what they're waiting for no when, they're, they're, they're going to they're going to use the uh, the seasonal flu period uh, saying, "Oh, look, it's back! It's back! You need yeah. your, you need your jab." Yeah, yeah. And, but, um, but it's but, gonna, you're gonna get natural immunity no matter what. We are more robust. The lockdowns, the lockdowns, which uh, we were told were absolutely necessary and we're 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 gonna have to happen, should have let this thing burn out. But because, days. yeah, but because of lockdowns and people in isolation and then right. going out, it's basically not allowed the, the, the herd immunity uh, to develop. Uh, and, and so, yes, it will keep coming back. And it really wouldn't surprise me if we were being deliberately reinfected somehow. Well, I think it's I, honestly, I don't think it's that because, like I said, the way that they're using this to calculate these PCR tests. I mean, you can find anything in anybody. The, even the, the inventor of that test said that it's not meant to detect a specific virus. It's meant to detect a virus. So yeah. that's what they're using. That's how they're they're pulling off this this whole thing, and they're keeping people in fear. Fear is the bigger weapon here. But you mentioned there about uh, they need time. They need uh, you know Ned, you've talked about their their timetables and things like that. Well, the lockdowns the the fourteen the initial fourteen days was just to see if they could get people to go along with it. Once they got that in people's heads and they got people to capitulate to that, then they started to run wild with this. Now enter the World Economic Forum. Now. Honestly, I don't know. I mean, this is a group that's been around for quite some time. That's where everybody gets together. They all meet every 12 months and they discuss policy and all that stuff. Okay, fine. But for them to now assert a leadership role, every time in history, when you go back and you read about totalitarian movements, whether it's uh, communist, fascist, social, what, whatever, it doesn't matter, a totalitarian movement, you always see the head of it appear 
right before it happens. And for some reason, this group uh, and this gentleman in particular, this idealistic uh, Nazi, as far as I'm concerned, Klaus Schwab, uh, I mean, that's what he is. I'm sorry. That's what he is. If you if you read his statements, his ideologies and, and some of the things that he talks about, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. If you look at what this group wants to do, and we're going to go over some of that here in the last 20 minutes, if you look at what this group wants to do, my God, it's it's literally the end of the human race. That's how sick these people are. They are sick. They're twisted. They're demented. They're psychotic losers. They've already taken everything. There's nothing more that they can take. See, don't don't you get it? In 2008, when the market crashed, they consolidated then. There's nothing else that they could do going forward. This is the flailing of that system that's dying. They tried to bail everything out back then, but it ended up just going into a black hole. That's what the financial crisis and everything was all about. They consolidated everything financially, but now there's nothing left. The only thing they have left to steal is everything that they can't create themselves. They can't compete with the free market, so they have to steal it. They can't compete with a small business, a small mom and pop business, so they have to steal it. That's what this is about. So Schwab has come out now. He's made a statement a few days ago, and he said that the world will never return to normal after COVID. Never. Uh, He's gone on to say that uh, now this is a quote. He says, now, again, this is the guy that's come up with this whole great reset garbage. Right. And I'll play a clip of him here in a minute. We've played it before. We'll play it again. I'll play that clip at nauseum because that's who this scumbag is. Many of us are pondering when things will return to normal. He said it's a fair question. Right. We're all being told, oh, well, if we just do this, then we'll get to there and we'll get through it. But it never ends that way, does it? Successive approximation. It's always in increments. Totalitarians take over in increments. The short response, in his opinion, is never. Nothing will ever return to the broken sense of normalcy that prevailed prior to the crisis because the coronavirus pandemic marks a fundamental inflection point in our global trajectory. You hear that? Our global trajectory. He's not talking about your global trajectory. He's not talking about the nation state. These people don't believe in nation states. Unlike certain past epidemics, I'm still quoting here, COVID-19 doesn't pose a new existential threat. Oh, it doesn't? Well, we're we're told that it's it's the worst plague upon the history of mankind. How does that not pose an existential threat? So he makes clear that the fourth industrial revolution, or in their terms, the Great Reset, will fundamentally change how the world operates. Radical changes of such consequence, again, a quote, are coming that some pundits have referred to as, listen to this, listen to how he refers to this, as before coronavirus or BC and after coronavirus or AC era. You hear this? You hear this godlike complex that's coming out of this guy? Like he's some kind of reincarnated version of Christ? We will continue to be surprised by both the rapidity and unexpected nature of these changes. As they conflate with each other, they will provo- they will provoke second, third, fourth, and more order consequences, cascading effects, and unforeseen outcomes. Boy, you can say that again, sir. So... Again, I want to play a clip of this guy, okay? Now, again, he's talking about the Great Reset. He's the the ideologue behind this, and it's a consortium, but he seems to be at the head of this thing. Now, oddly enough, Marty, when we went back and we did our our New World Order podcast, we didn't talk about this group because I wasn't really paying attention to them. Uh, As I said, they're a group that's been around for a long time. I mean, I've been following them for a good number of years, but they have not really asserted themselves specifically except for the last few months. Why now? Well, I I agree. I don't think we did mention them specifically as the usual, you know, part of the usual suspects. <laughs> However, they are backed by um, the World Bank. They are backed by the EU. The corporations. They are backed, yeah, by the corporations. They are backed by that. What they are, or what Schwab is, is is the. Um, uh the front boy the, the 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 front man for this for this ensemble um and um even if he was taken down you still wouldn't get to the root of the problem correct i agree i agree so um, uh, let me play this clip here real quick and yeah, then we yeah, can we, we can go on so that, again klaus schwab on his his take on what the great reset should be as it's implemented onto the world some people may say this is too idealistic um, but what other choice do we have? At least we have to try. Uh, we may fail, and um, next generations, or even we ourselves, will have to pay the price for our failure. At least we should try. 
He even admits right there in his own words, if you listen very carefully, when he says, we ourselves may fail and we have to, we may have to pay the ultimate price. He, he admits that it might not even go well for them. And I don't think that it will long term, long term. I don't think that it will. Short term, they seem to have at the current time, nearest I can tell, very little resistance to this. As Ned said, if people don't stand up now, then hell, you're not going to. I, I don't know what the hell it's going to take. I, I really don't. Because like I said, when I walk around downtown, man, it's it's creepy seeing all the people that just conform. It's creepy. And, and they look at you like, well, wait a minute, what's wrong with you? Again, everything's everything's been designed to be turned back on itself. A, a vaccine in this is not going to save you. That's not going to save you. That's, that's just... That's just a step. That is them setting a precedent to come after you, to come after your family. That's not going to solve anything because it's just a stepping point. They'll come back with more and then it'll be the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. You notice how all these people said that, oh, if, just if Joe Biden gets elected in the U.S., all this corona stuff will end. Now they're coming back with more lockdowns. You notice it's they ignore they They clamp down on something. Then they let off of it for a little bit. And then they come back at it again, even harder the next time. Successive approximation. This is not rocket science. This is history. And we're living it. I was um, in town yesterday, just doing a little bit of shopping. But the only places that were open are places that have either got a pharmacy inside or are selling food. So, you know, my usual day for Christmas shopping is Christmas Eve. I can get all the presents I need on Christmas Eve. But even if I wanted to go and do an early bit of um, shopping uh, to get ready for Christmas, I can't because the only way I can do it is to do it online. Everything uh, is available online. Bookstores weren't open. Clothing stores were not open. Yeah, corporations, yeah. though, are on board with it because they're on board with implementing this this agenda because their, their market share and their profits have increased during all this. If you go into a supermarket like Asda, which is part of Walmart, you can go and buy clothes. You can go and buy, buy um, loose furnishings, cushions, um, bedding, those kind of things. But you can't go and get it from a smaller independent store because they are simply shut. There's a, a really a, what we need to do is is uh, encourage everybody to read up on common law because here in the UK we are policed by consent, and if you do not consent to the restrictions, uh, which are guidelines, they they as far as I'm aware they have not been properly written into law. Then you don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to close your business. You don't have to socially distance. However, all of these smaller stores could still be open now if they were enforcing a mask policy and enforcing social distancing within the store. But they're not even being given that option. They've all just taken loans to keep their businesses going because of the first set of lockdowns. There's another round of loans now available, but none of them are going to be able to su survive this properly, or very few. It's meant to get to it's meant to get you yeah. in debt. That's what the system's about it's, with it's, the Great Reset. It's, it's meant to get you in debt for you to sign over all of your property. Oh, we'll forgive all your debt. Just sign over your property. That's what it's yeah, about. Yeah. Zero asset yeah, future. Yeah. So really, the people need to know, and they have to be kept told, that from the start, they knew it was going to be a year and a half of this vaccine. They've kept everybody up and down. They weren't open with the people. So if you have a small business, go see a lawyer. Go find out what's on your side. Because basically, we live in a country where they go, misinformation about money, you deserve to get whatever. The PPE is the same thing that they did, you know, misinformation about insurances, everything. If they don't give you the proper information about how long they really knew this was going to last to a minimum, which is a year and a half, it was always going to be a year and a half because you can't get a vaccine out before that. And they gave didn't tell you about, you don't need a loan. We just need to work out economically how we can help you survive, or this is how long you've got to survive as a minimum, which they should have been told. Sue the bastards. Get out there. Get the lawyers. Sue the lot of them. Excuse my French, by the way. I don't think you, you uh, didn't say anything wrong. We're, we're allowed to say that word. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. I wish I wish yeah. I'd known that. I'd have been using it a lot more. Yeah, that's exactly what we need to do. And that's what people need to do. There's a, I, I couldn't tell you what part of the country it's in, but there's a tattoo artist who refused to shut his um, 
tattoo parlor down. People have been going in and being treated. He's wearing a mask. They're wearing a mask. And the police kept coming backwards and forwards to this place, trying to issue cease and desist notices or, or whatever. And he's just refused. He's just refused. He says, I do not accept that notice. He hasn't taken any paperwork from anyone. Uh, they arrested him the other day and uh, did damage to his shop front when they uh, uh, broke in to, to arrest so him. So they used Gestapo tactics is what you're saying. Yeah, 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 exactly. what It's exactly what our police were forced to do. And, you know, he was back outside the front of his of his business saying how he'd been released without charge how he was about to start uh legal proceedings um for compensation for the damage to his building and uh you know against the individual who was trying to enforce the shutdown um notice on his tattoo parlor people need to go and look uh at what the actual law is it's there available online or see a solicitor you know i can't imagine why anyone would have a private swimming pool in the back of their garden which they then rent out to people to use as a swimming pool but there was this thing on the news this evening about um an autistic girl she's about five years old and uh water therapy really calms her down so she can't go to a um, normal swimming baths, you know, a municipal one. She was going to this one in this back garden, but even that's been shut down and denied her and her family because of these ridiculous uh, restrictions. It was a, pri- a small private swimming pool where they would have been the only people in there. But even then, they're not allowed to do that because it's in somebody else's property. And chlorine doesn't kill anything that goes into it, yeah? Well, Chlorinated water? To, to, be fair, to be fair, municipal swimming baths, council-run swimming baths, are probably the biggest place to catch all kinds of infections. I'm but it, sure they are. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's just like human soup a lot of the time, and bunging more and more chlorine in doesn't necessarily... Yeah, but um, the private pool would have had a filtration system on it and everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there wouldn't as, have been a problem. There would technically, one, but... technically, there would not have been a problem, and there wouldn't have been no viral problem there at all. Absolutely none, because it, the people inside the swimming pool, while this this young girl is enjoying her water therapy with her, her mum and dad, would have been the only people in there. But even that has been stopped. And it's these little things that they're doing to us. Wouldn't um, that come under an essential service? Well, I would have thought so. But then again, so I would have thought gyms were as well. They, they even had a gym owner, and it was brilliant to, to watch because I don't think the, the police just knew what to do at first. He had about 30 or 40 customers outside, all socially distanced, at least two metres, maybe four metres apart, with the equipment outside exercising. But even that was put a stop to, and I think he was arrested. But I'm pretty sure there'll be no you talk, you talk about masks and things in the law, yeah? Now, the children going to school, they start to tighten up and say they had to wear masks here, then whatever. So I sent an email back saying, if my daughter doesn't want to wear a mask, she doesn't have to. Because basically, at the end of the day, she's ASD, ADHD, and whatever. And I looked into it, and it actually says, by the law that was written out, if a mask creates high anxiety and stress, does not have to be worn. So I laminated that, stuck it in a bag, sent an email and told them to shut up and there's never been a problem. Well, the same thing happened to a guy in a supermarket who had anxiety issues and wasn't wearing a mask. His wife was wearing a mask. He was basically bullied out of the the store by security guards. You you know, we talked about would you snitch on your friends kind of things. Well, (laughs) these aren't even brown shirts or, or black shirts. They, they, these are um, grubby white shirts that are acting like fascists, yeah. given the opportunity. And and I said way back when we talked about that a few weeks ago now, that people want to be the big I am. You give them a little bit of power and they want to push it to the, uh, you know, push the envelope Ends on it. Degree. To, yeah, just to see what they can do with it. And it's absolutely just despicable people, you know. It is. It's, the, it's at that time that the person that has to have that common sense to help the person. What's the problem, sir? Oh, I can see that's affecting you. Do you want to come over here? There's not a problem. Go around. Whatever. No, he, he wasn't displaying any um, symptoms of anxiety. He just wasn't wearing a mask. 
And when they said, why aren't you wearing a mask? He said, for, for psychological and medical reasons, I'll prove it. Well, actually, you don't have to prove it. No, you don't. If but it creates that, that anxiety. Wasn't good enough for them. That wasn't good enough for these little grubby white shirts. They still pushed him out of the um, out of the store. They they made sure he left. So I tell you what, we are uh, we're a little over on time today, but I think it was uh, I think it was a productive conversation as always. Uh, fantastic to have you guys on, Marty. The next time you're on, we will hold this because we didn't get to it today, and I do apologize. But I don't think there's a shelf life on this one because they're calling for 2030. So uh, we're a little ways away from 2030. We've talked 2030 before, so I'll hold it for you for the next time you're back. It is eight predictions that the World Economic Forum has come up with for what the world will look like in 2030. And I also have 20 views on the biggest opportunity for the change after the pandemic, also from the World Economic Forum. So the next time that you're on, we will talk about those things, which is their prediction for how they're trying to steer things uh, in that direction. And yeah, it's... um, I would very much like to 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 talk on that. I'm sorry yeah. we didn't get a chance to tonight. That's there's, okay. There's always there's always so much to say on these subjects. Yes. But if Klaus Schwab or any of his spies are listening, <laughs> but out, fascist boy, because we don't want to have anything to do with your visions, your ideas, your imaginings of what the world could be like. Keep it to yourself. No one's interested. You boring fat. Ugly man, fascist so boy. That's on a lighter point, on a lighter point, has anybody seen the trailer for the COVID twenty three Hollywood movie yet? They actually made it twenty twenty three. It's COVID twenty three. Oh, There's a film God. coming out, guys. Oh, for God's fantastic! Sake. You gotta right. love Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hollywood's Brilliant. bankrupt. They actually had to move to New Zealand, I think. Anyway, all right, we're gonna have to go. So, um, thank you guys for sitting down today. And I, I do apologize. I think the three of us kind of monopolized the time. Bruce, how you doing over there? You good? Yeah, I'm good. Just okay. listening. Uh, all right, I'm giving you, yeah. Yeah, Bruce okay. has always got. He, he has to come in. So. Yeah, he has to come in there. He has to like elbow his way. He's like, hold on a minute, wait a minute. But <laughs> yeah, anyway, no. all right. Uh, yeah, like I said, we're gonna have to go. So, for those of you who have not and I haven't said this in a while, and would like to, please do give us a follow on the social media platform of Parler. I know that there is a, uh, a mass exodus from Facebook and Twitter, and Parler seems to be the place that everybody's going, especially now with the uh, the big caravans, the big protests. That's where people are getting all their news out. That's where their gathering is on Parler. And so, uh, yeah, uh, give us a follow over there. Give us some feedback. Uh, I've had a lot of new followers this week, and uh, we've had a few people that uh, have followed me that have discovered our podcast. And I want to thank all of you for uh, for subscribing and downloading and listening to us. Appreciate that. And please do uh, write to us on Parlor. You can write to me at Anderson 3 You can write to Marty at Marty Foster. Uh, and give us any kind of feedback that you might have. Or if you would like to be a potential guest or you'd like to get in contact with us and you don't want to do it on social media, you can do so anytime by dropping us a line at our email address at tips at dynamicindependence.com. And we would humbly ask you to pass this along to friends, family, known associates. We're trying to grow our audience here as much as possible, especially now during these trying times. And we need your help as a loyal listener in order to do that. So if you could pass this along, we would greatly appreciate that. Marty, you look like you want to say something. Yeah, I do. Because I've been painfully aware and I mentioned it earlier on, we need to diversify. So if there is anyone out there Male, female, persons of color, uh, different creeds, different opinions, different ideas to ours. This is uh, a safe space for you to say what you want to say. Open Anything form. you have to say will be treated with respect. And we'd love the chance to, to talk to you. So, yeah, get in touch via parlor or email. Uh, Johnny's giving you the details. You will get a warm welcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what did I tell you from the start of this, Marty? Almost two years ago, what did I tell you? I said, it's an open forum. Anything you want to talk about, doesn't matter. Yes, that's that has been your standpoint right from the start. Uh, I can testify to that. Also, if you're rating podcast, if you could drop over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating at your earliest possible convenience, we would appreciate that as well. Five stars would be a plus. Thank you very much. Bruce, Marty, and Ned, thank you guys for your time tonight. Good night, Good night man. And from all of us here, wherever you are in the world, we thank you for listening because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible. We love you and we love freedom and independence. And together we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas. So we'll see all of you tomorrow.